You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. It is, uh, it's fitting, I think, that we're in the letter of 1 Thessalonians. There's so much that God does in a church that we don't actually plan. That's why we call it Providence. Um, because, but the first three letters of this, or three chapters of this letter that we're looking at tell us or show us about Paul's ministry to this church that he had planted. We get to see in these chapters the heart of a pastor. That makes it fitting on a day that we would install elders. Last week, uh, Todd preached, and we saw that Paul's motive for ministry was not to please people, but to please God. And to some, this actually came up in our gospel community this week, to some people that sounds a little bit like, maybe it's like, okay, so you don't really care about people, you just gotta like do what God wants. You know, just deliver the truth and then let them deal with it, whatever. And uh, in fact, Paul is being accused of that thing. After he had been forced out of town violently, his, the people who were persecuting him came along and they're like, hey, where is that guy? You know, he came in here, he did his thing, he left. Does he not care about you? If he cared about you, he'd be here. And so this letter is kind of a defense that Paul writes of his ministry. And in these chapters, we see a very different story particularly in the passage we're looking at today from 2.17 to 3.10, we see a deep and genuine love that Paul has for these people. Paul shows us the difference between being a people pleaser and a people lover. And I want you to see that this isn't just about the relationship between a pastor and a congregation. Uh, It is also about just Christian community in general. Uh, This is what's possible for us. And so look down at the end of it, uh, which wasn't read, but look down at verse 12, if you have it. Open up your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, all right, in chapter 3, go down to verse 12. This is a prayer that Paul prays for them, and it's a transitional prayer. It moves us from kind of the defense of his ministry, and then the rest of the letter is going to be kind of the instructional part. Uh, But here's the transition, and this is what he says in verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Right? So everything that we see about Paul's love for them, we're supposed to take and apply to our own relationships, particularly within the church. This is how we can love one another. And look what happens when we do. We grow in holiness and hope. Verse 13. So I want you to abound in love for one another as we loved you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. All right, we're going to get into this in more detail, but here's the big idea. Loving one another is how we grow in faith and gain confidence for Judgment Day. Loving one another is how we grow in faith and gain confidence for the day which we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus. All right, so what does that mean? What does this love look like? Three things in this text. We're going to see the bond of love, the aim of love, and the expression of love. So first, the bond of love. Chapter two, verse 17. Paul says, since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. In Colossians 2, Paul says that our hearts 
have been knit together in love. In Christ, we've been stitched together like threads of a quilt. If you're like under 40, you're like, what's a quilt? My grandmother used to make quilts. Uh, She got various fabrics and, and piece items from our family history, and she would patch them together into a beautiful quilt. The quilt told a story of our family, and she loved to talk about the story, each part of it. It was all very dear to her. And Paul's saying, we're like that quilt. We've been knit together in love by the very hands of God, and each part of it is very dear to God, and as the whole, it's telling a story of God's redemption. That's why he uses this image of being torn away. We're stitched together, and and in some way, we've been torn away. The word is really strong. It's the word that's used for being orphaned. It's, it's, It's the word that's used from a child being removed from his home or of parents losing a child. It's gut-wrenching type of emotion. And I want you to see that Paul's not talking about their actual unity. It's not like they've fallen away from Christ, though he's concerned about that. They're united. They're knit together. In fact, Paul says that. He says, we've been torn away from you in person, not in heart. Our hearts are still knit together. I'm thinking about you. You're not out of sight, out of mind. But in another way, he's saying, yeah, but I want to experience you. We have unity in the spirit, but I want to experience that unity by being with you face to face. Look how badly he wants to be with them. He says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. He's, he's piling up emotional words to convey the intensity of what he feels for them. He says, I wanted to come to you again and again. I tried multiple times to come to you. And so Paul's with them in spirit, but he wants to be with them face to face. This is the bond of love. It, we want to be with each other. Our hearts are knit together. And so essentially what he's saying, and I can tell you, I feel the same way, and I think you feel the same way. Your joy is my joy. If you're having a bad day, my day's not as good. Your your sorrow is my sorrow. Our, Our lives are bound up with one another. Our hearts are knit together. Our faith is linked to each other, which we'll see as we continue through the passage. If you can... Let that bond of love that exists in Christ sink in. Like if that becomes real to you and you lean into it, you'll discover depths of love that fill the soul. And I want you to see how Paul leans into that very thing, just to the extent to which he does it. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Now, if you're like a church kid and someone says, what is your hope? What is your joy? What is your crown of boasting at the coming of the Lord? You say, Jesus. And you're right, except Paul says, is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Man, what does that mean? Paul was thinking ahead to the day of judgment. And he's thinking on that day, I wanna say to the Lord Jesus, I ran the race. I fought the good fight. I stewarded the ministry that you gave me. And the reason he'll be able to say that, evidence of that very thing will be that the Thessalonians will be sitting there with him. He'll be saying, look at what you did, Jesus. Look at what you did through our ministry. They're here. They stood firm. They made it. And they will all rejoice in what God has done. 
The point will still be about Jesus, but on that day, it will give Paul confidence that he didn't labor in vain. And he's importing that day into his right now and he's looking at their faith and he's saying, man, if you guys stand firm in the faith, that gives me confidence that I'm not laboring in vain. He uses this phrase in a few places. In verse five, he says he feared that the tempter had tempted them. And if that had happened and they'd fell away, he said, we, we would have been laboring in vain. In Philippians two, he tells that church to hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, he, Paul, may be proud that he did not run in vain or labor in vain. In Galatia, the concern is that they're abandoning the true gospel for a false gospel. And Paul says, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. We all have days where we wonder like, what is the purpose of all the stuff I'm doing? You ever wonder like, what does my life amount to? Is that just me? Somebody. I need, where's Karina Venables? Cause she's usually with me on these things. We all have that, right? Paul had that. And you know, on those days when I see God at work in people's lives around me, you know what it does? It gives me more joy, more hope, more confidence that God is real and that he's still at work. That's what's happening here. Paul is looking at their lives. He's concerned for them. He's saying, but if you'll stand firm, it'll make the work of God more real to my heart. It'll be my joy and my glory, not just in the future, but now. So our, our bond of love, which we have in the spirit, means that when we help each other grow in the faith, we gain confidence in our own faith as well. I uh, used to do fraternity ministry and I was in the, this one house, I had 10 guys, we did a Bible study for like 10, for two years. Uh, 10 years would be a long program. Two years. And it's just 10 guys, and it never grew beyond that, which was fine. I felt like we were winning just to have 10 fraternity guys in a Bible study. Well, so there was one guy in the group that in particular was just super optimistic always, all the time. Every time I asked him, how are you doing? He's like, good, great, doing great, everything's great. And it was just all the time, and it got a little bit annoying. And so one day, I was like, hey, man, listen, if you're in this brotherhood with like 150 guys, many of whom profess faith in Christ, but most of whom are not walking with him at all. Like, if that's your reality, how are you doing great? Like, can you be doing great if they're not? And of course, he never had thought about his faith outside of just like how he felt about God. And it, it struck him, and he took it to heart. He, uh, that week, we, got, we bought a box of books that we could do a Bible study with, and he took the box to dinner, and as all the guys were standing in line, he went through them one by one and said, hey, we're gonna start a Bible study in the house. We're gonna use this book. Are you gonna come? If you're gonna come, I'll give you a book. If you're not gonna come, that's fine. Just tell me no, but I need to know right now. And went down the entire line, guy by guy. And uh, the next week, four new Bible studies started in that house. They had to have one every night of the week after dinner, Monday through Thursday, to accommodate the number of guys. There were like 50 guys that wanted to do that and that stayed with it. See what he discovered? If I don't live unto myself, if it's not just about me and God and I'm knit together with other people, then that, that means I gotta move toward them in love. I gotta make this thing real in my life. That leads us to the second point, the aim of love. Chapter three, verse one. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, like just couldn't stand to be away from you any longer, not knowing any longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone and we sent Timothy, 
our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith, in your faith. So we tend to think of love as a feeling, which it is. It involves feelings, uh, but it's, it's more than that. One counselor I know said that to love someone is to will their good. To will their good. In other words, love is aimed at something. It's not just a feeling that we experience. It's aimed at something in someone else's life. In Christian community, the aim of our love is to build up others in their faith. Faith is the key word in this passage. It's mentioned five times in nine or 10 verses. And with every reference, it's always their faith. And so I want you to see it. Chapter three, verse two. We sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in your faith. I sent to learn about your faith in verse five. Verse six. Timothy has brought us the good news of your faith. Verse seven. We have been comforted about you through your faith. Verse 10. We want to see you so we can supply what is lacking in your faith. Why does Paul want to be with them so badly? Because he loves hanging out? I think Paul liked to hang out. Hanging out's okay. But what's driving him is he wants, he's committed to their glory. He wants to build up their faith. You ever think about what you want for the people in your life? I mean, you ever go to GC not thinking about what you might get out of it, but just thinking, what do I want for these people? Parents do it with kids. We know what we want. We just can't get it. That's the part, that's the process, the hard part, right? Paul has a vision for people. He has a commitment to them. His love is aimed at something and it's aimed at building up their faith. Paul's greatest desire for them is that they would grow in faith and bear the fruit of faith. That's how we should think about our friends. We accept them where they are, but we don't want them to stay that way. In the same way, I want to be accepted where I am, but I don't want you to let me stay that way. I want us to push each other toward growth because that's the love, that's the aim of love. We can see what this looks looks like just by looking at Paul's example. I'm gonna give you a little list here because love is an ill-defined word in our, in our world. First thing you see is love takes action. Takes action. Verse one, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens and we sent Timothy to you, right? Paul doesn't just talk about how he wants to be with them or how he loves them. He does something about it. Why? Well, we sent him to establish and exhort you in your faith, You see, sentiment is not enough. Concern is not enough. Affection is not enough. God calls us to a love that takes action for building up the faith of others. Second thing is love makes sacrifices. This is the main thing that keeps us from taking action because of what it costs us. Paul's action toward them cost him He says, we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker. These are not throwaway terms. He's talking about companionship and partnership here. Elsewhere, he calls Timothy his true son in the faith. This is a dear friend and a valuable co-worker in Athens. And Paul's saying, we were willing to be left alone. Like, Like if Todd and Kendall got a concern for some other place 
and I had to let them go, I would feel alone. That would be a tremendous sacrifice for whoever that other person is. That's not happening. Right? But that's, what, that's the thing that he's saying here. I'm losing friends. I'm losing co-laborers. It's, it's going to cost me, but for your sake, I'm going to send Timothy. Maybe a way we experience this on a smaller scale is just the way we multiply gospel communities. Some of you don't like that. Just the fact that I said that, you're like, ah, right? Because it's hard. We, we build community. We, we build communities of love with one another. And then a pastor says, okay, we got to break it all up now. That's how you hear it. But, but multiplying communities is a way that we create space for other people to experience that. I mean, this is what I always come back to. If you think about your gospel community, more likely than not, the reason that exists, the reason you even have a place to have that kind of community is because some group before you multiplied. Somebody you don't know has already sacrificed for your sake. And it just might be that God at some point will call you to make the same kind of sacrifice, to be sent, to open up more space for people to experience loving community. It's hard, but this is God's love toward us. He gave us his son. And Jesus gave up his life as a sacrifice for our sin. Why? Because he said, greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Finally, love tells the truth. Paul's concern was that the Thessalonian Christians would waver in faith because of the pressure and the persecution that they're facing. That's what he says in verse two. We sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in the faith so that no one would be moved by these afflictions. No one would be shaken by these hardships and fall away from Christ. That's a legitimate concern. If you talk to people who are struggling in faith or who have left the faith, almost always you will hear stories about cultural pressure, negative experiences in their personal life. Those are real things. These are things that cause people to start questioning what they believe. And so Paul's concerned. And not only is he concerned, he knew it was coming. And he told them it was coming. He told them the truth about what it means to follow Jesus. That's what he says, verse three. You yourselves know that we are destined for this. When we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Right? This is love. It's being honest with people about what it means to follow Jesus. We will suffer affliction. Not just because we live in a broken world, but explicitly because we follow Jesus. That's part of the deal. That's part of the story from beginning to end. Jesus said that. He's like, look, the prophets came declaring the word of God and they killed them. They're gonna do the same thing to me and they're gonna do the same thing to you. How do we help each other for that? Well, we tell each other, this is coming. But more than that, we prepare each other for it by establishing and exhorting one another in the faith, which was what Timothy was doing for them. Uh, that image is like, uh, think of like a fence post, and settling it into, into the ground, into concrete. There's work to do. You gotta dig the hole, which is terrible. You gotta settle the post. You gotta wait, take some time for the concrete to harden. But when it's all done, when you've got the hole dug and the concrete is hardened, the post is in place, it's firm. It's ready for the pressure. 
And the reason we do all that preparation work is because we know the pressure's coming, right? There's going to be heat. There's going to be wind. Every hundred years, there's going to be a massive snowstorm. It's coming. That's why we do the work. And in the same way, now, maybe in times where you're not feeling it quite as hot, this is when we do the work. If we love each other, we help each other get grounded in the truth of God's word. We make the sacrifice. I don't know what time John's class is, but whatever time it is, it's not convenient. So it's like, okay, theological foundations. That sounds like what we're talking about. I should do that. It doesn't have to be that, but we we make the commitment to ground each other in the truth and to get rooted in deep, loving, committed community. You're going to need both of those things to stand firm in the Lord against the pressure and the afflictions that are coming. I promise you. A lot of you are young and I used to be young and optimistic. And the older I get, I'm just telling you, the more friends and the more people I know that just fall away. I can't even explain it. They were so strong. I thought we settled the post. And it's just hard. It is hard to follow Jesus in this world for the long haul. It's hard to make it to the end. You've got to do the work now. This is the work. Loving one another in this way. And because of Jesus, you can actually do it. I was thinking this morning about the Last Supper. Don't you think about the Last Supper when you're eating breakfast? Um, you know, so it's John says, Jesus knew in John 13, he knew his hour had come to depart and be with the Father. And then he says, and he gathered his disciples for a last meal. And John says, he had loved them to the end. And then this is what happens. They're all sitting around with dirty feet because the servant who would normally wash feet wasn't there and they weren't about to serve each other because they'd just been arguing about who was the best among them. And so Jesus took action and washed their feet. And then he spoke really honestly with them about what it was gonna mean to follow them. He spoke about their need to be washed deep down. He spoke honestly about the reality of a betrayer in their midst. He spoke about his own death. He told them all that Peter was going to deny him three times. He talked about the tribulation and the persecution that would come to them. In John 16, he says, look, just as the world hated me, the world is going to hate you. It doesn't get any more honest than that. And this is why he told them. He said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. That's the aim of his love in our life, to keep us standing firm to the end. And then he told them that he loved them. He said, just as I have loved you, This is the command I give you. You also love one another. If you do this, that's how people are gonna know you're my disciples, you're my people. And then in John 16, he said, I know know you're anxious, but listen, the helper's coming. I know you can't love each other like I've loved you. I've seen that this evening, but the helper's coming. He will empower you to love one another as I have loved you. 
All right, let's talk about a practical application. So far, it's like, all right, we've got this bond of love. I can't see that. We've got this aim of love. I can't quite see that. Give me something I can hold on to. Here it is, the expression of love. Uh, chapter three, verse six. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? And so when Timothy comes back and gives Paul a good report, they're doing it. They're walking in faith, they're growing in love. Paul is both relieved and thankful. Relieved because he's been worried about them and thankful because his prayers have been answered. And again, you see how his life is bound up in theirs. He says, when I got this report, now we live. In other words, it was, it was killing us to think that maybe you had fallen away. We were dying inside. But now that we hear the good news, we live if you're standing firm in the faith. This, this language is, is almost hyperbolic. I mean, life and death, and we're just supposed to see this is how much he cares about them. This is how closely their lives are linked up together. And here's the, here's the practical thing I want you to see in this passage. Paul not only feels affection for them, he tells them what he feels. One of the things I've noticed in Christian community and in ours and in my own life is how often we feel something, we feel love for people, we feel thankful for people, and we don't say it. There's lots of reasons for that, I suppose, but I'm not talking about our tendency to avoid hard conversations. I'm talking about our tendency to just tell people we love them <laughs> and that we're thankful for them. It's weird to me how uncommon that really is. I hate it in my own life, but it's, it's not so in Paul's life. He doesn't just long to see them. He tells them that he longs to see them with really powerful words and images. He tells them that hearing about their faith was such good news that it comforted him in his distress. He tells them that he's so happy that they like him. That's my translation. He was worried that they wouldn't want to see him, that they wouldn't want to be taught by him. And when he heard that they did want to see him, that they did want to be taught by him, it just, he was like, yes, I'm so happy about that. He said, knowing that you're growing your faith has brought such confidence and joy to us. Right? He's not just thankful for them, he, he says it. Look at verse nine. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? In almost all of Paul's letters, you see one of the ways that he builds people up in their faith is just simply by telling them how encouraged he is by their faith. Just by giving thanks for their faith. Like I love in, uh, I think it's in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that's been put in him. Timothy apparently was feeling timid about his role as a pastor. And Paul says, no, you, you have a gift in you. God's put it there, fan it into flame. And as I looked at that passage a number of years ago, the thing that struck me was that the very thing that probably is fanning that into flame is Paul saying, fan it into flame. To have Paul say, I see the gift. 
We need more of it. Put some gasoline on that fire. Just to have Paul say that fans it into flame. Isn't that the kind of community you want to be a part of? People who have an eye for God's grace in your life and then tell you about it? They just say, it's not like super dramatic. They just say, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so glad I'm in the same group as you because your faith encourages me. It helps me grow my own faith. I, I am really challenged by your obedience. Like I realize I'm kind of slacking here. What if people tell you, you know what? I, I keep hearing from people how much they just enjoy being with you. You're such a good listener. That's what I hear from people. What would happen? What would the impact of a regular communication of Thanksgiving be on a community? Well, people feel pretty good for one, right? But more than that, they would grow in faith. They would gain confidence that God is at work in them and through them and around them. And it would have a reciprocal kind of relationship. Some people are like, well, man, if I'm always telling people the things I'm thankful for, are they ever gonna be able to see their issues? I'm concerned about that. I think that's a, I I mean, I have that thought and I'm just here to tell you it's from the devil. (laughs) People aren't all bad or all good. They're good and bad, depending on the subject. And so it's okay to give thanks for the good things and at the same time press into the bad things. Paul does that here. Look at verse 10. We pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Isn't that great? Guys, I cannot wait to be with you so we can talk about your issues. He's doing both. I love you. My life is bound up in yours. Your joy is my joy. And we're going to talk about some things when I get there. That's the love that we're called to. Both and. Friday, I was writing this point of the sermon, which is why there's not another one. Um, and I just started thinking like, oh my gosh, I, I felt really convicted about this. I was, became aware of how thankful I am for people in my life and how little I tell them. And so I just stopped and I just started texting a handful of people, Kendall, Todd, my wife, some others, and just to tell them specific things that I'm thankful for, for them. And that, I mean, it wasn't dramatic. It was like two lines in a text and it was emotional. If I like, I got teary. And if you know me, that's a big deal. Sitting in my office alone on a Friday, teary, because I had this well of thanksgiving that was unexpressed. And when I expressed it, it just just came out. What was even better was what came back. Because when I gave thanks for them, it was just reciprocal. They just, by instinct, I think, turned around and gave thanks for me. Both of us gained confidence in our faith and that God is really at work in and through us. That's how it works. It's not hard in one sense. In one sense, all you have to do is just pay attention to what God's doing in people's lives and then put words to it. That's it. You can do it. You can do it today. You're made for it. You long for it, and God's made it possible by binding us together in the Spirit. All right, last thing I'm gonna say, and then we're done. The reason it's so simple and so hard is because it's so opposed. Twice in this chapter, Paul makes reference to Satan. It's like we, we... I tried to come to you, but Satan hindered us. He doesn't tell us how. 
said, I was afraid that the tempter might have tempted you and you'd fallen away. So behind all this stuff that's going on relationally is an opposing force. Dark, powerful, evil forces in the world working against the very things that we're called to. And so why is it so hard to say an encouraging word to someone? Because we have an enemy that doesn't want you to do that. Why is it so hard to tell people the truth, to take action? Because we have an enemy that doesn't want you to do that. But listen, we have a bond of love that cannot be broken. And so with that confidence, we push through that in faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We aim for God's good in each other's lives and we tell each other we love each other. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.